I'm Francesca Donnellan. Welcome to Becoming More Human, the podcast. Every generation, through its arts and creativity, explores the same questions. Who am I and what really matters? We are so often taught how to emulate others to make other people happy. But how do we access what's good for ourselves and be strong enough to actually claim it? It's a constant practice because we all keep evolving. There are no limits to personal growth. You can start your journey today and get closer to discovering your true self. Give back to the people around you and make the world a better place. Welcome back, everybody, to Becoming More Human. Thank you for joining us on this journey. And as always, we have my favorite, Uncle Kevin, with us. Uncle Kevin, how are we doing today? I am fine, Fran. Thank you. Let's get that right. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, life is good at the moment. Thank you very much. It's very good. Uncle Kevin, we had a wonderful interview with Samantha. Um, it was such a great interview. I met her recently through a friend, friend of mine, Laura Whitmore, at, at one of her events in London, and we just got on really well. And I think she's an incredible woman. And it was great to kind of get under the skin of her story. And I mean, I'm not going to ruin it for anybody, but you can go back and listen, obviously. But obviously, the, the kind of crux of her story is that she's deaf. And she discovered that she was deaf later on in life. And subsequently, she's made a career out of it. She's been a comedian and all sorts, but now she really has turned herself into kind of an ambassador for it. And I think it was well needed. I hadn't realized the statistics of how high they were, especially across the UK. I'm sure it's the same across the world. It's just how many people are deaf who don't realize they're deaf. I think that she's written children's books she mentioned, which I am going to go and purchase for my kids, my nephews, not my kids. I've got loads of kids at home. All my nephews and nieces, because I just think they just sound so incredible that the way that she has used it as her power, I think, Uncle Kevin. And I think finding out at 29, I think she said that she was deaf. It's quite a shock, you know, you've, you've learned a lot of life by that age. So to kind of look at your life and think, well, what was that then? You know, what didn't I hear and, and, and what, what didn't I know? Or what do I need to learn now? And how do I need to unlearn stuff and adopting to a hearing aid and having to have that and the stigma that, you know, definitely you know, a few years ago was still attached to that. And I think she explains and talks in detail about how that has evolved and changed, which I think is brilliant and well needed but it was a, a really amazing insight I think as well to how she's taken this on she can't she can't ignore it it's not going to go away um she's used it as her superpower and that's what I was most interested in is how she communicates differently what what can she can pick up and how she has used this now to sort of help others i think that's quite remarkable to be in that position when we all know uncle kevin when you're at that crossroads in life and somebody tells you some news that you didn't expect that you could quite honestly you know stay in bed for days not want to get up not want to move like you could a whole life could be turned upside down by not embracing it and taking it on and i think she's a really fantastic representation of somebody who's you know been dealt with news and she's taken it on and um she's owning it and and using it to her power i thought she was a very funny she had me laughing the whole way through but really inspirational i thoroughly enjoyed listening to her she was very very entertaining she's clearly a comedian whether she's technically being one at the moment or not what i was struck by was her absolute honesty 
her description of the first time she put a hearing aid in her ear <laughs> will stay me, with me for life. <laughs> yeah. Again, you need to listen to it because it was quite amazing. Uh, but she would, so yes, she's so funny. She is a wonderful reflection because I think so often we all, unless we have a very obvious thing that makes us think, oh, I'm not normal or I am uh, somehow differently normal. Uh, we, a lot of us have things that we don't realize. We, we have this assumption that normal is very definable. As, as she said, people have said it comes out as being deaf. People say, well, you don't look deaf, as if somehow my perception of you is the box in which you need to live. So it's a, from a spiritual perspective, it's, it's a wonderful exercise in asking oneself, what is that part of me that, that I've not recognized yet and that needs help? And again, we, we tend to we're all we're all perfect. We, we're all, uh, or the word we use is normal, which is such a silly word. And I mean, it has a strict mathematical meaning. In fact, it has two mathematical meanings. Um, which I won't bore you with at the moment, but uh, there are two normal, and none of them have got anything to do with how you appear in the world. Um, my very good friend in, in, in uh, high school, David Williams, his dad was a doctor, and his dad used to say, show me a normal person and I'll try and cure them. We have this fantasy that somehow there is this thing called normal, that we don't realize how, how actually inaccurate it is. So I was delighted when she said, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be deaf. Actually, it gives me great gifts. Um, and, I'm, and then she unpacked those gifts. I, I have friends. Uh, all right. You know, we're, we're talking here uh, generational stuff. When I was your age, as they say, you know, discos were really discos. Yay. Let's go back to the, um, the Bee Gees and stuff. And, you know, and a lot of my generation became deaf because of <laughs> standing too close to the, to the loudspeakers. But there was a significant number of people uh, in those discos who were using sign language to communicate. And it's, it, for those who could, I had friends who did, and it was great because I would come home from a, a night out hoarse for two days because I'd been shouting at people over the music. They didn't have any problem at all. They were just communicating in sign language and went home and were fine the next day. There was great joy in listening to how she's dealt with it. But of course, there's also uh, not just the personal story, but also the social stigma that goes with anything that's to do with, oh, you're one of those. We've normalized glasses pretty much, although there are still situations where, you know, if you don't choose to wear contact lenses, somehow, you know, you're not playing the game right. I, I remember once, the first time I got glasses was a revelation. You, you talk about that yourself in the interview. Um, but even after I had glasses for many decades, I went to a new optician and he did a new test and gave me new glasses. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, there's another level that, that I didn't have there. This idea of what is possible, what is normal. It, it's, it's a fascinating area that when we can find time to sit back or step back and, and examine ourselves, it behooves all of us to, first of all, just do literally the physical checks, like, do I need a hearing, hearing test? 
Do I need an eye test? You know, I wish there was a sanity test. We could all do with that. Um, uh, whenever someone comes up, it would be a great contribution to civilization. And um, I know a lot of people who I think would fail. Um, but, but then there was this also this lovely story about how how deaf people can spot a liar much quicker. As she said, when you're doing sign language, you can't lie because your whole body is speaking. And the, there is this um, statistic, uh, and it is between 10 and 30%, but only between 10 and 30% of communication is actually the words. Everything else is the tone of language, and it's the nonverbal, as they say, communication. Yes, Uncle Kevin, people are... You know, when we when we, you can even sit in your own own nieces and nephews, you know, you, you want people to find their words all the time, and that's almost like a sign of self development. When you've got kids, there, you know, you're desperate for them to always say their words. You you don't kind of ask children to to to, to show you in other ways necessarily. It's quite often, you know, use your words, use your words. You can hear mum say that all the time. So it's really. Re- refreshing to I mean I, I'm somebody that really enjoys communication and a bit nerdy about it and actually you know I am conscientious about it but that's because of, I'm older and I'm learning more and I enjoy that but I think for most people you just take take it for what it is and communication is verbal and it, like you said it actually isn't verbal and there is so much that we can learn when we decide to, to challenge it actually and and look at it differently and not just take it for what it is absolutely uh, the this is really part of what i lecture about when i'm uh, uh talking even to do with people in uh in who are uh, clergy and others we it's called active listening where you're not just listening to the words someone is saying you're actually trying to open up all your senses to take in all the information they're giving you. I mean, the classic one, there's two classic ones, actually. One is when you say to someone, how are you doing? And they say, I'm fine. When clearly, what they want to say is, I'm having a lousy day, and I really need to go away and hide for a month. So the words they say are one thing, but their body, their tone, maybe even their clothes, their dress, you know, how they're presenting themselves, they didn't really... Uh, do their hair this morning and stuff like that all of that is speaking and our body is able to take it all in but we get very very used to filtering stuff out so there's an exercise that i I remember doing in high school uh the teacher said okay i want everyone to be quiet what do you hear and it's like i hear the 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 lunch trolley it's like okay be a bit quiet you know stay quiet for a bit longer and then suddenly we're like oh i could hear a bird Oh, I could hear a plane, but it's a long way away. The, the way our brain works is it thinks, it thinks it knows what we're trying to do. And so to help us, it filters out everything else. So after talked about this, the first time she had a hearing aid, suddenly she could hear everything. And it took a week or two for her brain to filter out all the other noise, say, in a, in a coffee shop, so she could actually hear the person sitting across from her because her new hearing aid was giving her brain all this information that was going on all around her, and, and she didn't need it. It didn't actually help her communicate to that person in that moment. So what we don't realize is what our brain and our senses are taking in and what, how our brain filters a lot of it out. 
So when we practice uh, things like active listening, we're looking at a lot of things. I mean, the other the other reality is the words, uh, and I think I've said this before. You know, when when we say "I love you," every time we say those words, we actually mean something completely different. I mean, in English, not so much in American. But in English, I can even use them to insult you by saying, "Oh, I love you," and just by the tone of voice, we're actually saying the exact opposite of what the words say. So the the, the example Samantha uses, and it's true for all of us, is that deaf people, because they're having to to include or take down some of the filters to take in a lot more information, because it's all coming together to. Um, help them communicate. As she said, deaf people who use sign language find it very hard to lie because they're using their whole body. Similarly, when deaf people are, are, are looking at you and, and you're, you think you're communicating to them, which you are, they're seeing an awful lot more. She uses the example of a, uh, of a nurse friend of hers who, who comes out of a meeting, say, another nurse and a doctor or something, and the, the other nurse and doctor who have full hearing are saying, oh, this and this and this and this. But the deaf nurse is saying, but what about this, this and this? And they're like, oh, I didn't see that. I didn't hear that. And she's like, that happened too. So we've all got this capacity to use our senses much more effectively and much more fully if we take the time and make the choice to do so. I mean, you're in the, the PR business and, and things like that. We all know there's the old adage, you only get one chance to make a first impression. And usually that first impression has got nothing to do with what you're saying. Well, yeah, it's how you make people feel. That's, that's, what, that's what we know, isn't it, now, as we've all got... As we've got older and everything's developed further, people, you often hear people say, it's not what they say, but it's how they made you feel. That's right. And that's what's stays with people but in that first impression literally before somebody even opens their mouth we are taking in communication i yeah sometimes joke with especially with guys i mean guys generally uh, actually especially american guys it, british guys have got a lot better at it american guys are amazingly um or can be amazingly uncaring about what they wear i mean it's jeans and sweatpants and, and that's the height of fashion. Mm. And then they get upset when people judge them based on their lack of presentation, um, their lack of caring to uh, make an effort in social situations. It's very common for a couple, uh, man and woman, you know, to go to something and the woman is dressed, you know, very appropriately and looks very nice. The guy basically doesn't look as if he's changed his trousers from when he was doing the gardening. The challenge here, of course, is there's nothing wrong with that. There's no rule that says he should dress up and somehow be something he's not. We don't want to say that. But on the other hand, if you, you cannot present yourself in public without recognizing that you will be judged. Mm. You, you cannot stop it. You cannot stop a human being having an impression of who you are by how you present yourself. Uh, it's, our, yeah. it's part of our fight and flight it's part of our fear system 
But you can, you're judging at every end of the spectrum, though, you know, even at that end of the spectrum, somebody looks slightly unkept, but even the person who looks slightly over the top is also getting judged in the other direction. I think there is nobody who escapes the judgment from others. Right. And so the challenge here from a spiritual point of view is actually not for them, but for me, is to say, Kevin, why are you judging these people based on their hair color or their clothes or or whatever it is uh, and so th the work is on me to say why are you doing this judgment I, I i make these examples not to say people should you know dress more i mean i enjoy it when people do but that that's that's neither here nor there what we can't avoid the two things a people will automatically make assumptions about and let's use that word what is normal and what is acceptable mm -hmm. and uh and then what are you going to do with it? So the, the work is on both sides. To deny um, that people are judging me is silly. You know, to be perfectly honest, deal with it. It, it is going to happen. You can, make, you can still make your free choices, and people do all the time. You know, I'm going to dye my hair pink. I don't care what anyone thinks. Great. That, that, that works great. Um, you've made your choice. Um, people will judge it. And you can let that go. That's a good thing. But the work on the other side is to say, why am I judging and what matters? And, and so these, it's an awareness of the filters we create and the, the degree to which we're able and willing to let our filters down and so take in more information. Because the information is available. Uh, Taking more information about each other and therefore that gives us freedom to be mm -hmm. more honestly, ourselves as well. I don't know if that will make sense. We don't realize how much of a transactional reality just exi existing in community is. I can only speak for the younger generations, and I'm not even that young anymore, Uncle Kevin. But I think that's, that's the fundamental issue, is just existing. I think that's what a lot of people are struggling with right now. I think social media has been a great help, especially in the context of Samantha's interview she talks about it because i think there's been tiktok trends even still happening today not just about deafness but about all sorts of other things where young people are showing off their their differences you know against inadverted comments normality they're showing them off and whether or not uh, you know you've got to carry a bag with you you know whether you've got you know missing fingers whatever's whatever is is that you may have tried to help or hide or shield from society these younger generations are out there trying to display those and show everybody that you know that these are their powers as well and I think it's amazing to see but I think in in equal breath I think it's still overall a hard place to be I think people haven't progressed much i think like you said expect to be judged because that's where everybody is and it's a shame really isn't it that we we're still living in that way i think it's a lot to, to shift the consciousness away from from judgment the good news is we are shifting i think uh, parts of society certainly and parts of the world are shifting but also there's an awful lot of, of judgment going on and you're right the younger generation uh, have always been the ones who would push the envelope a little bit more. It, there's a wonderful poem that's quite famous uh, over here. So when I am old, I will wear uh, hats and purple. And it's about uh, women getting older and, and being slightly wacky. There's even a thing called the, the Red Hat Society. And it's women who get together 
to be out, you know, women over 65, uh, many of them over 80, yeah. just, and, and they just enjoy being themselves and being outrageous. And, you know, they're not hurting anyone. They're just having a good time. But they refuse to live in a cage. They refuse to live in somebody else's idea of what they can and cannot or should or should not do. And that, that is wonderful. It is really wonderful because it is a reciprocal relationship. If I want you to accept my uh, differences, then I have to accept your differences. Yeah. It, it has to be a both-way thing. Yeah, but it's very hard, isn't it, for people because we, we like pointing out everybody else's flaws. It makes us feel safe. It makes us feel superior. Yeah, it, you know, so the, the question is, so what is my, my sense of self based on? You know, the, the classic mm. one historically is race. You know, oh, I'm, I'm white, so I must be better than you, you know, which is hideous. Mm. Um, and we're slowly, slowly working on that one, but it has to be worked on from both sides, predominantly on the white side. But, you know, as we, as we move through these different realities, I mean, it's going to be really interesting and, and yeah. to move into sort of a somewhat political um, or socio-political reality. Britain, I think, has already got to the point where there is no one uh, group that is the majority. And if not, it's very close. America is, is about five or ten years away from the fact that there will not be any one demographic that can claim a majority, apart from maybe women. Women, I think, in both Britain and America are going to, within 10 years, are going to be the only single demographic that can claim a majority, which is amazing. Wow. We should have a podcast yeah. like that. Um, <laughs> what does it mean when, when the only majority in, in both of our countries are women? And that, that, if it hasn't come already, it is coming very, very soon. Well, I hope that comes with a, an increase in pay <laughs> and the gender pay gap. <laughs> I hope we're still the dominant, but we may be earning no money still. That'll be fun. Yeah, you'll have to. Well, we just have to make sure more women are elected to government because America's been trying to pass. This is completely, of course, on a different topic. You know the well, the. Uh, I know. Well, we need to know, actually, Uncle Kevin. We need to normalise having children and actually women being able to have children and still work. But unfortunately, the business environment is not set up for women to have children and still work. It's just not. It's completely not set up for that. So you know, if we could change those social constructs, then maybe it would be a bit easier. As that's all I'm thinking. But you know, Sheryl Sandberg tried to to do some small changes they only last so long and they only happen in so many businesses it's not widespread so i think that there are things that do need changing in those ways but unfortunately like we mentioned at the beginning this idea of normalized society or the expectations of what society is meant to do it's very hard to try and change those and like you mentioned a minute ago i think there's there's more there's breakaways happening but overall it's still still not enough for for things to really shift so this is a long way from uh one samantha's wonderful interview uh but if we if we're looking at around this world of normal i think the word that comes to mind for me is what does it mean to have enough because a lot of our first world culture 
is based on having more. It's not based on having enough. If we're talking about becoming more human as opposed to humanoid, then part of the reality is the stepping back that has to happen to say, what is enough? Because I think we can all have enough. There is certainly enough food in the world for us all to have enough. There is enough arable land in the world for us all to have enough. It's just there's not, en- there's not enough if we all want to have more and more and more and more. And, of course, the reality is the balance is completely skewed towards the first world who consume, what is it, 50 80% of the world's resources and the remaining 70% get left with whatever's left over. So it is a, a metaphor, all of this is a metaphor for each other. What is enough ability? How do I stop uh, judging others? How do I allow people to be themselves, but also grow and give people choices and then support people's choices rather than judging people against standards which are ultimately frequently subjective. There are a few standards which are objective. The, the, those objective standards are sort of basically the, the Ten Commandments. You know, don't kill one another, don't steal each other's cows, don't lust after each other's husbands and wives and stuff like that. Those are the basic objective realities. We have so much ability to choose how we want to be in the world, how we want to treat one another, how frequently we need to apologize uh, to how I've treated people in the past. You know, I'm sorry for, gosh, when we were in our 20s, I judged you for this, that, or the other, Um, or even in our 60s for this, that, or the other. I thought it was wrong, and that, you know, a dreadful word to have to use, that you would do something like, you know, decide to, you know, get a job, even though you've got children at home. We we are very, very poor as humans at seeing all the angles. Part of becoming more human is to, first of all, admit there are a lot more angles in what it is to be human than than we actually give time and credit to. Again, that that filtering of the brain that goes on, that, that filters out the 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 noise. Our brain is a making is, is making a choice for us, saying uh, this is what I think you want to listen to. So I'll filter out everything else. And the truth is, our brain isn't always our best friend. Our brain is no better than Google or Instagram or something presenting us stuff that, oh, you've looked at this before, so we think you'll want to look at it again. Our brain is literally just a functional thing. It's, ultimately, it is not who we are. Our, our consciousness is not based in our brain, but it's really hard, you know, to get away from that model. It is, Uncle Kevin. I think, I think that's a really nice place, and a nice place to bring the podcast to an end. I think it's good thought a question to be asking people because we often spend too much time in our brains thinking that must be right and not enough time out of it and I think it's certainly helpful in the long run to spend some time out of it (laughs) especially in the context of what we're discussing Um, so please go back and listen to Samantha's interview it's so good and again like we're learning education is key so you know educate yourself on deafness in particular, 
and what it means to be deaf and listening to Sam's story. And please go and buy her book and follow her on Instagram because she's brilliant. And the one thing I would add, Fran, for everyone is if you want to see a great movie about this topic, go and see Coda. Yeah. Coda came out maybe five years ago. Um, It was Oscar nominated. It actually won one or two. Uh, Brilliant, utterly brilliant mainstream movie. Coda, C-O-D-A. Go and see the movie. It's brilliant. You'll love it and you will be educated. Brilliant. Thank you, Uncle Kevin. That was awesome. Um, I'm looking forward to speaking to you next week. Take care, Fran, and God bless. Bye-bye. I'm Francesca Donnellan, and you've been listening to Becoming More Human, the podcast. You can follow Becoming More Human on Instagram, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your podcast apps, such as Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and Google. And don't forget to check out our website for exclusive audio content on becomingmorehuman.co.uk. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation. Thank you for listening.